continue now with our sermon. We haven't read the sermon text, so we're going to begin by reading uh, Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, and then we will talk about these verses. These verses would commonly be called the Annunciation, which is when the angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to be having a baby who's going to be the savior of the world. So we read beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the incredible miracle of your incarnation. We ask you to come to us again this morning through your word. Send your Holy Spirit to us through your word to strengthen us and encourage us in our faith and in our Christian life for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So during our Advent sermon series, this is week three of it now, we have been talking about signs and prophecies that God put out there ahead of time Right, to tell his people about the Savior who was going to be coming soon. And in the first week, we talked about Jesus' genealogy. We talked about all the people in his family line and how God had made promises to you know, Abraham and David and really all the way back to Adam and Eve, saying that one of their descendants was going to be the Savior. And then last week, we heard about kind of the, the last turn before the destination. We heard about that final last sign was that there's going to be a prophet a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. And of course, that prophet turned out to be the one we know as John the Baptist. But God wasn't done. Like, we have only scratched the surface of God's promises and prophecies. And today, we're hearing a very special one. Uh, to make absolutely certain that nobody could miss it. To make absolutely certain there could be no doubt about the identity of the Savior, God now promises a sign that will never be able to be duplicated. And the sign is this, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, in the regular working of our created universe, there are some things that simply don't happen. For example, pigs don't fly and fish don't talk. And the stars and constellations don't rearrange themselves and go to different spots in the sky. And human beings don't live forever. And virgins 
don't conceive. In the regular working of our created universe, it just doesn't happen. But when the creator decided to enter his own creation, he did it in a way that broke all the regular rules. As John puts it in his gospel, the word became flesh. Or as Paul put it in his epistle, being in very nature God, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Somehow, God, the creator of everything, made himself very small and implanted himself into one of the members of his creation. It sounds very cool. Uh, sounds very exciting until you find out that it's happening to you. And this is kind of a situation that Mary found herself in in our sermon text for today. Uh, we just read these verses, so we won't reread all of them, but you know, apparently you got Mary, who is this betrothed, not yet married virgin living in the tiny, tiny village of Nazareth. Apparently Mary is, is hanging out one day when suddenly an angel appears to her. And this angel Gabriel has been sent from God with a specific message. He says to her, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary says, well, good morning to you, sir. Right? I mean, we don't know what Mary said. We don't know what her words were. But the Bible does tell us what her reaction was. And it makes sense. It's not surprising. The Bible tells us Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Because it's not every day that an angel shows up for a visit. But you notice the care that God's angel Gabriel takes to make sure that she's not afraid. First, he leads off with, you who are highly favored, greetings, the Lord is with you. Then he obviously sees Mary's a little uncomfortable, so he just directly tells her, do not be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. So there's that word favor again. We've heard it twice in these couple of verses. Uh, when the angel says that Mary has found favor with God, uh, it's interesting and it's important to understand what that means. So the fact that Mary has found favor with God does not mean that Mary was a little bit holier. Mary was a little bit better. God looked through the world at all of the women and now in this small village he found the one who was best of all and she was his favorite and so she had kind of earned the right to be Jesus' mother, and God chose her out of everybody to bear the Savior. That's not what this word favor means. If you look up this word translated favor in Greek, it is the exact same word that we also translate grace. And what is grace? Well, it's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It's not a characteristic that's in ourself. Grace is a gift that comes to us free and undeserved from somebody else. So when the angel says to Mary, you have found favor with God, he's saying you're going to be the recipient of a gift from God. It's kind of like you're the lucky one, except there's no luck involved. It's kind of like you've won the lottery, except she didn't apply for the lottery. Mary didn't do anything special to receive this honor, but simply by a gift of God's grace, God's favor, Mary has been chosen to be part of his story. Now, when you put it that way, Mary's not so different from any of us, is she? Because God didn't come to us and say, 
you're a little better than everybody else. You're a little holier. You're a little more pure. There's a little more good in you, and so you're my favorite, and that's why I've picked you to be part of my family. Instead, simply by a gift of his grace and favor, God has called us to be part of his story as well. Anyway, back to Mary's story. So, by God's grace, she is the chosen one, and now the angel gives her some details about what she's been chosen to do. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which is a name meaning the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. As the angel is saying these things to Mary, I mean, it's crazy to hear an angel saying this to you, but at the same time, these words are also ringing bells, because these words are coming straight out of the Old Testament, referring to many of the different prophecies and promises God had made about that Savior who would be coming soon. He is going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to reign on David's throne. His kingdom is going to last forever. As the angel lists all these details, you know, Mary's devotions and Bible stories as a child are coming back to her. This is what they were all waiting for. And it starts to dawn on Mary that this child that she didn't know until now she's going to have is going to be the one, the one that they all have been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years. You know, in our situation, it's almost like if we realized that Jesus had returned and was about to bring us to heaven, and this is what we've been waiting for all these years, this is actually happening. In an Old Testament way, this is exactly what it was. The Savior was finally here. But then you can almost see Mary, like, takes a step back and, you know, how can this possibly be happening? But then she's also thinking, well, how can this also be happening? How can a pregnancy be happening in the first place, because isn't the angel forgetting sort of a crucial detail? Mary phrases it in a delicate way, literally translated, her words are, how will this be since I have never known a man? Um, you know how this normally works, Mr. Angel. It takes two to tango. It's been this way since the beginning. But this is far from a normal situation. God is going to do something very special. And the angel says, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One to be born of you will be called the Son of God. So this is the miracle that we call the incarnation. The taking on of human flesh. God who does not exist in time and space suddenly now exists in time and space having created a tiny, tiny body for himself and implanted himself within the Virgin Mary. We can't understand physically or scientifically how to explain this. It's as big of a miracle as when God created the world from nothing. Um, but the results of this are clear, and we can see what is happening as Jesus grows up. What has happened here is God has given himself a tiny, physical human body, and now he is a living, breathing, growing human being, just like each and every one of us. So, it's a lot to process. <laughs> Mary probably has a lot more questions, but she's good for now, and she says, well, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What a unique and special day this must have been for Mary. But for the rest of our sermon today, we're going to talk about what a unique and special day this also was for us. 
even though we are living thousands of years later, this day when the angel comes to Mary has such special results for us. Because this is the day that God became one of us. A real human being living in a physical body in the physical world. God became one with us. So what are the implications of that? What does this mean for you and me? That's kind of what our second reading got into from the book of Hebrews. And one of the phrases it used is it said that Jesus was made like us, fully human in every way. You think about what that means, that Jesus was fully human in every way. It's not just God looking like a human. It's not just God dipping in his toe to the water. But he jumped right in and is fully human in every way. So, for example, this means that Jesus suffered pain and discomfort during childbirth. And also afterwards, when he was laid in what was probably not a cozy wooden little manger, but probably a cold stone feed trough surrounded by pokey little pieces of straw. And then when Jesus was a baby, fully human in every way, he had to communicate like babies normally communicate. So he could not just speak to his parents with an adult voice. He could not, you know, telepathically tell them, I'm the son of God and I'm ready to eat. It's two o'clock, I know you're tired, but it's feeding time. He communicated just like every baby communicates, crying, and then his parents have to try to figure out what's the problem. Fully human in every way. This means that Jesus also went through that toddler stage where he was sick with a cold or a flu or an ear infection every five minutes. Fully human in every way. This means Jesus dealt with school pressures and peer pressures and the awkwardness of the middle school years and the awkwardness of going through puberty. Fully human in every way. This means that when Jesus got into the working world, and this is the part of Jesus' life that we don't know anything about, and I would love to know more, but he became a prophet and a rabbi when he's 30. It seems he was a carpenter for maybe a decade before that. When Jesus was in the working world, he experienced frustrations and failures and probably days in the carpenter shop where he mashed his thumb with the hammer. And then when Jesus did get into his 30s and he started his ministry, we know some of the other things he experienced. Rejection, betrayal, arrest, crucifixion, death. So, it wasn't just the bad things and the pain and suffering of life. It was also the good things and the joys of this world. But you just ask yourself this question, what would it be like? You look around the world, you see all the things people are going through, you see you know, the politics and the troubles and everything else in our world. What would it be like if God could just come down here and live for a day in our world and see what it's actually like? Well, this is what God did in Jesus. Not just for a day, but for 33 years. He came down with us and lived in our world, God walking in a human body. But he didn't just do it so he could see what it was like. He didn't just do it so he could understand human life. It was so much more than that. The reason God came to earth in a human body was so he could conquer human life, so he could win at life, and so he could do it in our place. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. He had regular problems just like we do, but he responded to them with moral perfection. 
And then he took his moral perfection to the cross, and there he exchanged it for our life full of sinful failures. And as a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, he made atonement for the sins of God's people. So, when the creator entered his creation in human flesh, what would you compare this to? It wasn't like a curious scientist who inserts himself into his own experiment. It wasn't like an ambitious director who casts himself in his own movie. It was more like, imagine if you had a perfectly healthy doctor treating a patient who's miserably dying of cancer, and then one day that doctor takes off his lab coat, takes off his tie, puts on a hospital gown, climbs into the bed, miraculously absorbs all of that patient's cancer into his own body, and the patient walks away healthy and free while the doctor stays in the bed and dies. Or it was more like if there was a judge who had justifiably sentenced a criminal to the death penalty for terrible, unspeakable crimes that they've done, if that judge one day took off his robe, put on an orange jumpsuit, went into the prison, let himself into that prisoner's cell, and exchanged places with him. So the prisoner gets to go free while the judge gets executed instead. This is the depth with which the Bible talks about what Jesus is doing in our world. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came down and died for us. It was the unlikeliest of motivations for God to come and be one of us. But this is why God did it. He came into this world to sacrifice himself for all of us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Why? So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power over death that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Our cancer of sin, our sentence of death, our enemy, the devil, all defeated because our creator decided to come down and implant himself within his creation, putting himself in our place here on earth so that one day he could bring us to his place, and we can live with God forever in heaven. God becomes flesh. What does this mean for us? Well, brothers and sisters, what it means is next time you are frustrated, next time you are discouraged, next time you are stressed out to the point of a nervous breakdown, next time you're sick, next time you're sad, remember that God came down to sit beside you in this sometimes painful human experience, and that God has a much better experience already planned and waiting for you in your heavenly home. It also means this. Next time you feel guilty, next time you feel ashamed, next time that you've fallen into temptation, next time you feel like dirt because you have failed again to meet the standards that you set for yourself and you have failed again to meet the standards God has set for you. Next time you feel that way, remember, God came to your world 
to not just understand your life, but to conquer it in your place. And because of him, you are already a free, forgiven child of God. Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh. As it turns out, having a God who would come down to earth, take on flesh, and be one of us is the greatest present that we could ever receive. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your brother in human flesh and your Savior. Amen.